Rillian, I want to start off asking you a question. Uh-oh. <laughs> you are the Tolkien nerd scholar amongst us. Tell me if this is roughly the Narnia equivalent of Rings of Power, since Amazon does not have the rights to the Silmarillion. It's kind of like if Netflix had the rights to all of the Narnia books except The Magician's Nephew. So they made the other six Narnia books into movies or series or whatever. Then they said, you know, we want to make a Narnia prequel, but we don't actually have the rights to The Magician's Nephew. We do have the rights to the characters of Diggory and Polly because they appear in The Last Battle and to Aslan and the White Witch. We have the rights to those characters, but that's pretty much it. So they craft a completely original story that includes characters named Diggory and Polly, and it has a White Witch origin, but has nothing to do with Charn. Totally different. We see the lampposts and the wardrobe and where they came from, but it's completely different, you know, origin explanation for where they came from. So apart from having some characters with the same names, it's it's a totally original story that has nothing to do with the Magician's Nephew, has a different title and everything. Is that roughly the equivalent? Uh, that's pretty... I'm going to say genius. Welcome to Talking Beasts. From NarniaWeb.com. Where we explore the world of C.S. Lewis. And keep a watchful eye. On the latest Narnia movie news, this is Talking Beasts. That's a very good comparison. Because you could say, well, we'll just use the characters referenced in the last battle. <laughs> um, here, let's write a story. Yeah, that's a pretty good uh, comparison. Okay, so so any Narnia webbers listening that aren't very familiar with Lord of the Rings or certainly not the deeper lore. Okay, so that gives a, a pretty good idea of what it would be like for what it's like for a Tolkien nerd to watch Rings of Power. Yes. Okay. Welcome to Middle Earth for now. This is Glumpuddle. And I'm Jim Pan. And Rillian is here. Why are we discussing Lord of the Rings on a Narnia podcast? I feel the need to give the disclaimer, because I don't like Narnia being stuck in Lord of the Rings' shadow so often. Certainly the movies were. Um, But hey, for better or worse, this is a big moment in fantasy filmmaking. It's the most expensive TV show ever made. So depending on how it's received, people will probably either try to copy this or mimic this or stay as far away as they can from it. Either way, it will be uh, influencing fantasy films for a while in, in one form or another, probably. And with Narnia adaptations possibly on the horizon, um, yeah, this will probably, for better or worse, have some degree <laughs> of influence over Narnia adaptations. I, I also don't want Narnia in Lord of the Rings' shadow. I want it to be its own thing. Yes, it's kind of started off, I think, a little bit that way. But now we're in a world where Game of Thrones is a cultural phenomenon. These mm-hmm. big studios like Amazon Studios and Netflix Studios are searching through various children's fantasy, adult fantasy, whether it's the Witcher series or Wheel of Time. They're finding different projects and they're bringing them into the culture for today and they're adapting them for the culture for today uh, that will have an impact in uh, how Narnia goes forward if it do- if it does go forward well it's just tv I feel like it's a larger discussion of just like tv series in general and how the streaming age has just completely morphed how everything functions so yeah we're gonna talk about Amazon's the Lord of the Rings the Rings of Power series one day this will be your kingdom raise your sail and then let go Choose not the path of fear, but that of faith. One thing we can do, better than any creature in all Middle-earth, we stay true to each other 
with our hearts even bigger than our feet. We might give somebody some very mild plot spoilers, but we'll definitely avoid the big stuff for sure. Towards the end of this episode, I'll give a big spoiler warning and then anything goes after that. Um, but but, uh, for, but for now, uh, you're pretty safe. We're not safe, <laughs> but we're good. We're good. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so I think we've got, we seem to have a really good range of perspectives here. Really in, you are a Tolkien scholar, nerd. You've read The Lord of the Rings, The Hobbit, The Silmarillion. You know about, and more than that, right? You're very familiar with the lore and the expanded universe, if you will, all right? Yes. I mean, it, it, there's so much there that you have to reread it every so often because it's like almost like mm -hmm. real history. You just kind of forget, oh, yeah, Muriel and Ferrisan were cousins, you know, whatever, all that stuff, you know? But, yeah, yeah, all that stuff. Oh, um, <laughs> so yeah whereas i've read the lord of the rings and the hobbit multiple times but my introduction to middle earth was the fellowship of the ring movie i've read the lord of the rings and the hobbit several times i'm very familiar with those books but i've not read the silmarillion i really have a vague idea at best uh probably that's even too generous of uh the silmarillion and so so to me this is based this is an original story this is I, I have nothing whatsoever to compare it to. It is what it is for me. Jim Fan, what's your level of familiarity with Middle Earth and the kind of larger lore? I did. No, technically, no. I did technically read the books before I saw the movies. I consider that a very slight technicality. I really was introduced to Lord of the Rings through the movies, um, but then have since then read the books. I have read the Cimmerillion, but again... I put that in quotes because I don't know how much I understood it, but I have a I have a basic idea <laughs> of the book. lore, and I also do a lot of googling. So you know that's actually <laughs> been really fun because um, I've been I watched Rings of Power with my roommate, and she has just a basic knowledge of Lord of the Rings. So after every episode, you know, we would get and we would you know Google all the questions. And okay, I, tell I did her, not. You know, oh, it's like oh that person is that person and that person is that person. It was very entertaining. I resisted the temptation to Google stuff and look up well, what it is in the book. I'm just, I was just determined. To, I'm just going to watch this as someone that likes Lord of the Rings. And I'm going to go into this as, okay, it's a Lord of the Rings prequel. With that said, I can't bear it uh, any longer. Let's go ahead and give Rillian the floor <laughs> first. Rillian, give us your overall impression of Amazon in Prime's two sentences or less. The Lord oh, of the okay. Rings, The Rings of Power, which by the way, you wanted to record this episode a year ago. <laughs> that's how many. I did. That's how many thoughts he had on Rings I of did. Power. I did. I'm like, really? Let's at least watch it first before we record it. <laughs> okay. So, Rillian, your thoughts on the Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Prime? Uh, I I very briefly have to go into some of my expectations. I initially had really high expectations because I mistakenly thought they had the rights to the Silmarillion. For those who haven't read it, the narrative structure of the Silmarillion reads kind of like the Bible. It doesn't mm -hmm. read <laughs> like a novel. The Lord of the Rings is a long, very detailed, but it's a novel. The Silmarillion, it reads like the Bible. So any kind of adaptation, it's like, it's almost like, you know, almost like trying to, with that level of detail, trying to create a good storyline with good character development and all that stuff. But I was very excited and I realized they were focusing on the Second Age and then I started learning how uh, they were very uh, handicapped in some way because they were left with just the appendices in the Return of the King, which gives some outlines of the Second Age and the First Age, but very briefly. But so I did have to lower my expectations, and then the marketing strategy kind of turned me off. So I, I started going with very low expectations. Um, 
and I was a, I was I was a little surprised. So I would say, I kind of come full circle. I started off like, okay, this is a talking adaptation, and then I very quickly was like, you know what? It's it's just not. It's just not in some ways. I just kind of have to look at it as its own TV show. And then as they would try to tie some things back in with Tolkien or some parts of the lore back in, I was like, okay, well, I mean, this is kind of weird because it's like they are asking for it because of the structure that it is. Any you're going to have to take more creative license, even with a faithful adaptation. You would have to be really creative, come up with new storylines, subplots, character development, stuff like that. And I was so ready for that. To, uh, not that my, it was my expectation, but that was my standard. I was like, okay, that would be the fair standard because they would have to do that to make an interesting show. I think overall, I was just so disappointed with just the show as a show. It, it's not all bad. Mm. Um like I thought, for example, I thought the actors. I was surprised by how good the actors were. All the actors were great. I, I thought. thought. I thought there were actually very few actors that I really had an issue with. I thought the acting, not the dialogue or the writing, but the acting, I thought was very good. The actors elevated challenging material. Yes, I, yes. I, I, I was. So I, I thought around the board. I thought the acting quality was very good. Um, but some things that I was not expecting, I, I thought, for example, okay, we'll get tons and tons of action and stuff. And it was very slow and I, I can watch a slow moving show, but <laughs> I, I, it didn't grab me. Some of the characters that they offered up as heroes or heroines, s- some characters I, by the end, I was kind of invested in. And then some, despite their efforts, I really wasn't that invested in, um, I will say I, there was at the end, I thought I, at this point, I am not at all eager to see the second season, but depending on what new direction they may take or continue in, I'm not going to rule out that I would maybe start a second season. Um, but I was, I think, overall surprised that just as a as a regular TV show, um, I thought it was surprisingly weak in many regards. Yeah, I guess uh, I think if they're going for a more overtly fairy tale storybook kind of tone, more so, that doesn't quite have the historical edge that Peter Jackson had. To me, I found Rings of Power very underwhelming, and it's it's odd because it shouldn't have the bones of what they of the story that they tried to tell and the people that they had the you know the actors that they had to tell it and the money that they had to make it look good it was all there it looks expensive yeah but then sometimes it doesn't occasionally my wife, it doesn't. watching my wife goes oh that part looks real though kind of sorta <laughs> <laughs> i just mm-hmm. i just things didn't make sense it, i mean it, i enjoyed watching it but it left me kind of I didn't like feel very excited about it and that has nothing to do with do I feel like it was faithful to Tolkien at all because that's a completely separate discussion okay underwhelmed seems to be the the key word so far I'll say uh, I, I sensed good intentions with this for a lot of it like oh I see what they're going for um and there's there's so many elements I really liked a lot um, but I just wish the, all these great elements were supporting a good story. Um, I thought, like I said, all the actors are excellent across the board, and they elevate really challenging material. By challenging material, I don't mean bad writing necessarily. I just mean, like, Tolkien is challenging. I think they've kind of captured yeah. a lot <laughs> of this. Some is, bad writing. There is <laughs> some weird dialogue. Some I very think modern they, dialogue. But I think they've ca- – there's a lot of bits where – I think there's a lot of dialogue where it's like, oh, that's so Tolkien, and that's – Tolkien's hard, you know, like to bring it to life, not make it sound 
you know, super phony, like to get that poetic kind of quality. I think there's a lot of scenes where they pull it off and it could sound super cheesy and they totally sell it. Um, so and actors are awesome across the board. I thought the visuals uh, didn't have the depth of the Peter Jackson trilogy, but I found them stimulating. Um, but uh, I really didn't like the jumping around storylines. That was the main weakness, the constantly jumping around from storyline to storyline. To me, it felt, I think, and this would be probably my main criticism for like this whole first season. In some ways, it felt like it was spending so much time just to set up. And then you got to the last episode and then it just went by really fast. Yes. Yeah. yeah so season yeah. one has textbook prequel-itis where it's way more preoccupied with teasing origin stories and setting things up than it is with telling its own story. Like all the big dramatic moments I think we kind of remember from this series are, oh, that's going to be that thing in Lord of the Rings or, oh, that's setting up that thing. You see what we did there? So it's more concerned with setup, setup, setup than telling its own story. So we have these multiple storylines that for nearly the entire season have no virtually nothing at all to do with each other now as far as tolkien now i've just read the hobbit and lord of the rings so do i buy this as okay an extension of that canon i'm familiar with um now i'm assuming and i yeah, pretty much you guys have confirmed it most of the kind of characters and plot points are totally wrong um but as someone who's not a nerd um i didn't think this was super in inconsistent with lord of the rings i thought it was written by people that well, were trying. I mean, they killed off someone who's definitely not dead. Okay. I'm not talking about the details. I'm talking about the, <laughs> the spirit, the themes. Uh, I, Are you I, talking I, about I, the characters? I, I'm just curious. I'm talking about the spirit of it overall. Do I accept this as an extension okay. of the Lord of the Rings that I know? And I think, more or less, it should, except for the fact that the storytelling is not nearly as good. Um, I think that it still pretty much felt like Middle Earth to me. The storytelling is flawed, but for what it's worth, um, I think there was some people that like Lord of the Rings and do understand the world and trying to make an extension of it. Maybe weren't always wasn't always the best story, but I didn't think it was completely contrary to the spirit of Tolkien that I know overall. Um, I thought it was closer to the spirit of Tolkien than the Hobbit movies. I'll say that. And I overall like this more than the Hobbit movies. Oh um, really? Yes, uh, I think as a fan, interesting. As a, interesting. The, I think the that, fan that is interesting. <laughs> the fan in me, I probably both on both levels. The fan in me and just the audience member in me, I like this better than the Hobbit movies. First Hobbit movies, pretty good. In there the rest are rubbish. Yeah. Okay, okay. There was stuff in the Hobbit movies. I think. I think my overall feeling was just like irritation. Whereas in Rings of Power, there wasn't much that I felt irritated at. If does if that makes sense? The Hobbit, I just want to cover my eyes, cover my ears, go away for most of it. The first one's okay, but most of two and three is just ah terrible. It's called Peter Jackson unhinged. Whereas Rings of Power, I was merely <laughs> underwhelmed. So I walked away a little underwhelmed, but not angry. Anybody that says I love this show, I would fight them, push against them. Anyone that says I hated it, it was the worst thing ever, I would push against them too. Just a little underwhelmed. Yeah. If you one thing, if you said, okay, I hate it as an adaptation, because like, for example, Morford Clark, who plays Galadriel, uh, she is, is it Galadriel or Galadriel? Let's just get this out right now. Galadriel. Thank the you. Tolkien nerd just said Galadriel. <laughs> I did, because that's what I grew up with. But I think it is Galadriel. Oh, but anyway, okay. so it's Galadriel. But uh, she's actually a very good Eowyn. Hmm. 
Okay. But yeah. like, if you have someone like, if you were to like walk in, see her like interacting with characters and stuff, he's like, what's this? Oh, it's like a, a TV show spinoff of Lord of the Rings, but it's all about Eowyn and like the continuing adventures of Eowyn. Oh, okay. Like she, cause she is not like Galadriel at all uh, or Galadriel, whatever you want to call it. Either one. Okay. <laughs> Either one. I've heard it both ways, but so, <laughs> the point is that uh, I think that there's, as an adaptation, it, you know, I think part of the reason I wasn't more fired up on the adaptation failure was I, I just eventually just kind of gave up. But part of the thing is, and I've, I've seen Amazon do this, where like the Terminalist TV show and the Bosch TV show made some deviations from the books, but it was still a very faithful adaptation. But then with the Tom Clancy show, Tom Clancy's Jack Ryan, and I feel like with this show, there was like a show that they wanted to make. Like, I feel like they wanted to make kind of like a, a Tales of the Sword Coast TV show here. And mm -hmm. but they're like, yeah, but the Tolkien name is going to rake in the dollars. Let's bring in Galad you know, Galadriel. Let's bring in uh, the Numenorians. Let's bring in all this stuff. And that way it'll kind of hook people. But I feel like their story that they really wanted to tell, because so much, many of most of the characters that they focus on are not in uh, are not in the show or sorry, not in the book. Which yeah. I would be very not in the Silmarillion. You mean they're not in anything; they don't exist right. at all. Gotcha. Um, okay. And it's ironically, I felt that I felt like some of the people that didn't exist at all. I was like, "Oh, you guys are actually the best things that fe you feel the most Tolkien to me." See, I almost mm -hmm. felt the opposite. I almost felt like, okay, I, at least I somewhat care about what happens with Durin. I care about what like, oh Numenor might get you know flooded here Let, let's watch this you know but then some of the stuff i was like oh good thank goodness we just had a whole episode without bronwyn and her stupid kid or oh my <laughs> goodness thank goodness like they left out the hobbits maybe we won't see any more Hobbit. maybe they just decided you know what they're not working let's just i don't care let's just and then they were like having a whole episode without them i'm like oh thank goodness maybe we won't see them again see I, that's where i am seem to be alone is that uh, I probably like the Harfoots the best. I didn't like them, but uh, that was the storyline I, <laughs> I was okay. hoping to get they back to. They lost me. Okay, mild spoiler, <laughs> if you saw like episode, I think it's episode three. Okay, when the Harfoots became like a death cult, yes. and like, okay, we're going <laughs> to- yeah. I we like that. No one gets no. left behind except you and you and you. Oh, you sprained like your that. ankle? Too bad. We'll write a book and we'll feel bad yes. about it, but you're definitely getting left behind. Maybe we'll just take off and their wheels. The end, like this is like yes. a religious leader. Like this is like the religious leader. They're like with this his weird little, cult. Yeah, it's like, yes, I love it's it. A cult. It's like you have the yeah. weird religious leader with his little book, and he's it's like got three wives, right? That all uh -huh. hang around him all the time, uh -huh. and it's like, oh well, you you know, if you don't do this, you know, you the the we'll let the wolves eat you. Uh huh. Oh you know, nobody God. strays off path. Nobody walks alone. And at the end, you know, it's like everything bad happens. And then they have this rousing speech. It's like, we're Harfoots. We take care of each other. I'm like, the heck you do? Yeah, it's like, that's yeah. not true. They're this, yeah, they're this weird uh, cult. I remember we just um, looked, at each other. I looked at each other and just laughed. We couldn't help it. I found it, yeah, very uh, unnerving in a way that I thought was interesting. <laughs> I, I enjoyed it. I don't think that's what they were going for, but that's what I took from it. <laughs> I thought it was like, oh, these people are nice, but they're also like possibly going to eat one of their own. Um, I mean, I, the I like that. Coming out, like a big reveal. Oh, it turns out all the meat. Like, I mean, it's sort of weird that like, okay, they've got, they've invented the wheel. 
They've invented the wheel. <laughs> They've got whistles and things that apparently it's never occurred to any of them to take an herbivore and tie a cart behind it and like push it along. I, I don't know. It's sort of like they're just that isolated, I guess. No, they're just that set in their ways. You know, it's like they're nice people, but they're so like at the same time. They're so like set in their ways and traditions. And um, I just thought that was like, oh, that they're kind of nice and charming, but also they're weird and they're a cult. You know, I like that. I actually enjoyed that contrast. And also also add, I can see this as like, okay, a thousand years from now or whenever we get to whenever we get to Frodo, it's like the Hobbit's just like lightened up. Because to me, like, the Hobbits and the Lord of the Rings are like, yes, there's our pipe weed. And yes, we don't go and talk with the big folk. And yes, we have our bacon and eggs. And it's like, they still have this sort of, like, rigid, you know, thing going on. It's just not, like, freaky weird. And it's more harmless now. <laughs> um, so um, so as, like, an, an, uh, an exaggeration of, like, what we get with the Hobbits later... I I liked that like ambivalence of like they seem really nice and they're charming and Nori's very likable and I love her friend but also they're so weird. What is her friend's I, name? It's like fe- what is female Sam's Poppy. name? Poppy. Okay, so female Sam is Poppy. There that okay. is such an underwritten character. Like there was this sense that like it's implied this is like one of the first episodes that she like lost her family and was orphaned or whatever. Maybe like she's got a story there and i love that actress and but they just like don't do anything with her anyway i felt torn with the the harfits because i liked how everything was like on location there wasn't a lot of green screen the, mm-hmm. the everything like was real and then like i would go to other locations it's like oh my goodness all this elf uh-huh. stuff looks so fake but like mm-hmm. that's the storyline that I have some kind of interest in because I really like if the harvests eat themselves, I'm not gonna care. <laughs> uh I really liked the betrayal of the orcs. Um the orcs Yes, seem, the and, orcs were good. Why were the orcs so good and the elves looked like doo-doo? I don't know. I'm talking about I'm talking about the uh the orcs seem like people, not just mindless monsters. Like it seems like maybe they actually have a soul, like um I thought was interesting. Except it's kind of weird that they care more for their dead people than the Harfoots do. Whereas I love that the Harfoots are just weird. I like it. I'm <laughs> I sorry. don't like that was like uh <laughs> this is this is not in spirit with Tolkien. That's an improvement over the Peter Jackson trilogy where they are just mindless monsters. Mm. And the, the the Rings of Power is consistent in that pretty consistent in that violence is bad. Whereas violence in Peter Jackson's he could revel in it a little bit from time to time. Um, whereas Rings of Power is more consistently, no, violence is a bad thing. Even killing orcs is not a thing that we're excited about. See, I feel like even that's a little bit, because I feel like it, it, it's not the, the violence can be a good means to an end, but it's not a me. It's not an end in and of itself. I feel like that's more in the spirit of Tolkien. Either way, it was like killing is not, something it might be necessary but it's not something it, but peter jackson is kind of some scenes rubbing his hands together like <laughs> 42 that's true 43 that and- sometimes but sometimes it's like i think that's one thing the one thing i i was irritated about with this show and even with the even the peter jackson films didn't ever capture it in the books it is evident in every single book the elves hate the orcs and they will just fight them with a ferocity because they're orcs. And that's something mm-hmm. I feel like no one has ever captured, but whatever. It's zero for zero with films in the show. But mm-hmm. I liked the Elrond Duran friendship overall. Um, I thought, again, a lot yeah, of it is I just the, the actors. You know, whoever played Duran, I thought, did such a great job. Um, I, I, I was rooting for their friendship. And I thought the actor for Elrond was good too, although yeah. pour one out for Will Poulter. 
I know. He who was been going to great, be Elrond. He was no. going to be Elrond. I forgot about that. Yeah, because they wanted someone who looked like Hugo, a young Hugo Weaving. Which, which he, he does. definitely does. And he would have been a great Elrond. Again, the plot around with Durin and stuff. Some stuff was weird. But I felt like the actors made me care about Durin. The actors made me care about Elrond. Yeah, I, mm-hmm. I cared yeah. a little bit. Uh, uh, he's not developed very much, but I cared a little bit about Alendil. Um, yeah. I, I cared about those characters <laughs> in, uh, to some degree, especially Elrond and Durin. I think for me, a- everything Numenor was the low point of the series. Like, I mean, from the moment they go in there and the, the, the score is all epic. Look at this amazing thing. And after 10 seconds, after 10 seconds, I'm like, oh, this is supposed to be amazing, I guess. Yeah. It's and- like, after 10 <laughs> seconds, it does this. It, it's like I, I like, hated I think, this. I hated the design. I hated the costume design. So I hated the queen I liked character. It. it seems so no. cheap. And I don't like when shows try to come up with like themes that are like supposed to be religious within the society, and it just falls apart. Like the sea is always right. I'm like, so did you do that? Like as a little line, so that whoever get like Alfarazon or someone can like watch in season three can be wiped out by the flood that Numenor gets consumed with and can say as his last line, this is always right, and then die. Like, is that why <laughs> yeah. you created that line? Mm-hmm. But there's certain things like that that they, I feel just so artificial. It didn't, here's part of the thing. I felt like this is the only redeeming thing about the Harfoots. When I was looking at, okay, is this a culture that has its own history? The Harfoots were the only thing that convinced me like these are, okay, and the dwarves, Harfoots, and then the dwarves second to that. Mm-hmm. They felt like they have their own history and their own culture. And this is not just no one hit a randomized button on an RPG for an elf maiden or something, you know, mm-hmm. In an, so I felt like a lot of the stuff just felt like like the elf stuff. Like, why, why does it look like this? You know, mm-hmm. and I've heard like I've read that COVID really derailed some of the like the the ability to have the quality of production that they huh. were, they wanted initially which i kind of i kind of believe well, in it, some well, ways it, it, well, and r- other ways regardless of the reason it is what it is um, yeah it is what it is but it's still i'm yeah hey, can i ask you guys a question how much time sure. elapses between the first episode and the eighth episode it feels like um several weeks maybe i guess I had to yeah, guess. Per- not thinking about it too much. Just like my, my, my feeling is several weeks. There's a scene in the series where we have a group of characters coming to the rescue of another group of characters in the nick and of time. And it's a small group of characters. Like a really small group of characters. <laughs> like Monty Python size. It's the most <laughs> contrived thing ever. Of uh, They arrive just in time. Um, yeah, Middle Earth generally feels pretty small somehow, despite the uh, enormous scale of a lot of the visuals. It reminded me of Voyage of the Dawn Tread of the book. In how it's different, because like okay, like I I don't know, because I was thinking about like, ships and sailing and stuff. Okay, and Voyage on chart of the book, like they they don't just sail around in their armor all the time. Um, they put on the armor when they need to to get off the ship, and then they're like, okay, let let's oh, we're gonna go a certain place. Let's carry some food with us, and then it was like everything here was different. It was like they're just sailing around in their armor all the time, and then Elrond and Celebrimbor like let's go let's go uh you know like a hundred miles to Moria and then uh-huh. they just like walk off screen and, and enter screen left and they're in the same clothes and they're wearing no packs no horses like they just like walked over there and then like three months later in the same room they're wearing the exact same clothes talking about dialogue and like the exact Can't same think about clothes. it <laughs> yeah. but but at some point it's like what is this show 
what is this? Yeah. If this were Dungeons and Dragons season one, I wouldn't really care so much. Uh, one positive thing I'll say about the visuals. Um, there's a scene where there's a there's kind of a hell-like environment. A lot of characters covered in ash. But that was awesome. And it's like the a first shot of the show starts off on like Galadriel's breastplate. And it does this 360 thing. So, such a cool design shot. I thought everything in that environment looked very real and was very haunting and atmospheric and awesome. Very cool design. That visual was really well done. I just hated how it played in with the storyline. Like Before I give a straight up spoiler warning, I don't think there's much else we have to say. Um, really quick, Rillian, I just want to ask you. I mean, I know that for me, as I, if, if that magician's nephew but totally not magician's nephew if that were to get made i there's just no way i could possibly enjoy that there's no way like it's like no that's not where the wardrobe came from no that's not where narnia came from no that's not how that works like you can't change the fundamental lore to that like no matter how good it was i just think i'd be so distracted by that do you do you really think you, you have do you have any ability any possibility of actually could you actually like this even in just, there's just no chance that you're ever going to like this, basically, I guess. It doesn't mean that it would have to deviate as much as it did. Okay. Like, for example, the, the character Galadriel could have been written in a way that was consistent with the books, even with the little mm -hmm. knowledge. They could have come up with... So I think that's the thing that really bugs some people is the intentional deviations or... Well, now, for me, that knows nothing about the character in The Silmarillion or what, who Galadriel was. I'll just say if I find it somewhat interesting to say, okay, she's not... A thousand years in the past, she's not exactly the same character. She has to get there somehow. Here's for okay. I'll I'll go to two other Amazon uh, studio productions. So the the Bosch TV show, in terms of not so much in certain things, storylines, huge deviations from the books. Uh, the Terminalist, some major plot line differences from the first book. But at no point do you, you if you look, you're watching this and sometimes going, wait, the author didn't write that. Like, that is not what the author wrote. But it's a different feeling you get when you're like, okay, that's something the author wouldn't write. And some of the stuff, it feels like Tolkien would not have written it this way. Whereas some things, like, I'm trying to think of a good example uh, from the movies. Um, like, for me, that's part of why I can kind of forgive the Tom Bombadil thing. Is I, I'm sad that Tom Bombadil's not there. Is it inconceivable to me that Tolkien would have written The Fellowship of the Ring and not had Tom Bombadil as a huge segment of the story? No, it's not. It's, it's not like I watched. I go, he would have never written The Fellowship of the Ring without Tom Bombadil. No, uh, okay, he might have. You know, I mean, uh -huh. yeah. So I think that's the way I kind of look at some adaptations. Like, um, is this something the author didn't write, or is this something the author wouldn't write? And that's and I know that it's all speculation at some point, but there are also margins of truth within uh, those gray area so for but... you like this is it, it so would you say it's not just the fact that that character is wrong or they change the lore there the details are wrong when I mean, you would just say that on a thirty thousand foot level this is would you say this is contrary to the spirit and themes of tolkien yes yes could you summarize why like what is it that makes it contrary to the spirit of tolkien uh on, on just on, on just a general level i think that the biggest thing I'm, I'm trying to, that's a very good question. And I have been thinking about it actually. Like why, why is it? Sure. If you want, to, want me to give you just one second to think I've got one I can think of. Yeah, go ahead. And that's just, I will say, um, you know, th there's the, a lot of the characters are, there's a lot of gray characters in this, the good and evil isn't quite so clearly defined. And in Tolkien, we generally see 
these are the good guys, these are the bad guys. There are some good guys that feel the pull of darkness a little bit. You know, Frodo does a little bit. Um, but uh, in general, I think there's there's a there's a little more moral ambiguity in this um, that yeah. I think I see in the Lord of the Rings. I think the w- w- to build on that, and then kind of what the point I was I'm thinking on one. I think that within Tolkien, the forces of good and evil are true, almost concrete forces. The people might be pulled in between them, hmm. but the forces of good and evil are real forces. And mm-hmm. the one thing I didn't like about this show, it seemed like for a lot of the characters, their own, uh, the truth that they live by, the uh, the morality they live by, a lot of it is defined by their own viewpoints and experiences. It's not something that is, it's not an external reality that they have to conform their world to. Like they're either wrong or they have to conform to this external reality. And the exceptions to that were kind of stark to me. Like, for example, the, my favorite line of the whole show uh, is in the. You have to final touch the line. darkness. That was your favorite line. That was such a <laughs> stupid line. I still, still don't know what it means. But like at one point, they, the, what, what, what the, I'm trying, I actually wanted to pull it up uh, for this podcast and I didn't. But uh, the stranger tells Nori something to the effect of uh, sometimes we know what the right thing to do is. And even though our hearts are screaming at us to do the opposite, we still have to do it. And I love that because that is a very Tolkien-esque mm-hmm. notion that you might, you're, you're, all, all your innards might be fighting for the opposite. It's not just about what you want. And like, well, I just feel this Follow yearning to heart. do this. And this, mm-hmm. I know I must do this because this is, I feel it in my bones. Actually, mm-hmm. that's, that's not really talking. Um, a lot of times like people want to do the opposite, but that's, they force themselves to do contrary to their nature because it's the right thing. And that mm-hmm. one line, I thought, yes, that is a talking line. Um, but I felt like that uh, theme wasn't exhibited through a lot of the good characters of the story necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt like it was an outlier in terms of a theme of, for the TV show. Yeah, I mean, I, I just for me as someone that has just read Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit, I didn't think it was super. Uh, uh, I did. I wasn't. There was wasn't wasn't much in here. I was very uh, uh, offended by, you know, just underwhelmed by. Um, but I respect that you as being much more knowledgeable about t- the larger Tolkien world. Well, it was actually like, it was, example, so it was, it was actually offensive for yeah, you. G- Galadriel in the TV show, it, if you were to just try to get a step back, really, I don't see any way you look at it. Galadriel is not a really a heroine. She's just a character you're observing on this journey and has done some good things and does some bad things, has some good motivations and some bad motivations. My brother gave his life hunting the enemy. His task is now mine. Speak your truth. You're Stand with me. Ours was no chance meeting. Not fate, nor destiny. Ours was the work of something greater. She's kind of just a character you're observing from a morality standpoint. If you're really to say, no, Galadriel, no, she is the heroine. It's like, well, but all of her drives, her motivations, um, her sense of good and evil, everything is internal for her. And it's her against the world as to why this is right or wrong. It, she's not really pulling from anything external, any external source of truth for what. So you, she's not really a heroine in 
a sense of Tolkien, maybe they intended to be the heroine, but in, in a postmodern sense, she would be a heroine for sure. Um, but I almost, that's why I, maybe I partly why I don't, I have a hard time being drawn in by the character because th- the character is just the character I'm observing. Okay. There's a good motivation. Yeah. There's a bad motivation. That, sure. So I did yeah. lo- again, love the actress. She, I thought she really gave the sense of, even though she looks obviously young, like a normal person, I believe she was a, you know, a, th- a couple thousand years old or whatever. I thought she had that sense of wisdom and knowledge beyond her years that she sold very well. Me, she but like she's a very like one twenties no- or so, but no, I thought like when she, whenever she had her, like, giving her words of wisdom it was like, wow, she really seems like it's a shame. She's such a one note character, but she had that presence of power and wisdom and experience. She had, she had, she had the vibe. Okay. I'm not saying she your actual had actions. Eowyn, she had that vibe. Eowyn no, was a great so. steely character who knew what she wanted, was confident. Like that's what the morphic Clark Galadriel is. But I, I, I really believe she was a thousand years old. That's all I'm trying to say. I thought she sold that very well. Okay. okay. Um, I'm going to give a major spoiler warning. So if you do not want spoilers for Rings of Power, go ahead and thank you so much for listening. Post a comment below. I'm going to go ahead and just give you a big, fat spoiler warning. And then we'll have even more spoilers for the post-show chatter. But spoiler warning, spoiler warning. Goodbye, everybody. Thank you for listening. But it's time for major spoiler. Okay, you're still here. I want to talk about Sauron. Um... I thought Sauron. Sauron. I got got the pronunciation incorrect. (laughs) Oh, so so the scene was Sauron and Galadriel. Um, so (laughs) Sauron and Galadriel, Mr. Frodo. Uh, Here's something uh, for you, Tolkien nerd. I think that if you are like I was familiar enough with, I'm not sure where I know this, but I know that Sauron. I was, if you are familiar with the Tolkien lore vaguely, you'll probably guess that Halbrand is Sauron. But I think if you're totally not, I think it would be a surprise. So consider that. If you're familiar with the lore, you're like, oh, I know that Sauron can take many forms. I know that he he deceived the elves. He, he gave an angel of light kind of form to the elves. But he didn't even take on that until the last episode. That's the irritating part to me because it was just, it, it was like you knew they were going to go there. And I was like. Please don't. It's but so... the reason you know it's going to go there is because you're familiar with the Lord. Sort of. You know, it's because it's said... the guy and the girl, and you know she's looking for someone to help her, and he comes along, and yeah. Oh, so so, so you think even if you knew nothing about the books, you would still guess? You think? Well, once you yeah. can, you can kind of figure out in the story that okay, someone here is Sauron. Yeah, well, see, th- th- that's the like almost fourth wall breaking element of it. Is it's the, like once, when, which character is going to become the Sauron once character? Figure that out. Which that <laughs> exactly. is not something you would even get from the movies because Sauron's this kind of distant force you never really experience in the movies even. But so this is a tweet I p- t- tweeted on July seventeenth of this year. <laughs> gonna make a Rings of Power prediction here. I've heard no one say this. Rather, this is my gut based on the rumor mill for various character changes that have been made. Galadriel and Sauron will have a romance. Maybe not full-fledged, but enough to get shippers' attention. Okay. And they shipped Galadriel and Sauron. And someone Ugh. even asked me at one point, they said, hey, uh, really? And so I, I was like, how run to Sauron? And they're like, are you sure? I'm like, yeah. And someone tweeted, like, how, how, who, who do you think is Sauron, really? I said, I think it's the guy who's currently the most obsessed with forging things and has superhuman strength. I think that guy <laughs> yes. is Sauron. And they're like, oh, yeah, okay. Okay, well, let me... <laughs> Let me rally this up a little bit. Um, I like the idea of um, we want the temptation at the end. We want the pull to the dark side. 
uh, to be to feel like oh, Galadriel is, has a difficult choice um, to make. We want to ideally, right. I'm, I agree. Uh, we want to yeah. we want to feel like oh, what is she going to do? This is a difficult choice. Uh, not like Luke Skywalker in Return of the Jedi, where <laughs> come to the dark side. No, like an actual like you know mm-hmm. s- struggle. Yeah, if you're so do it's this, like you got to make it real. So yeah. uh, so uh, so what if we and if we tell the audience oh this is Sauron? Obviously no, Sauron's bad. Sauron's bad. So what if we gave them some time to actually like a certain character and then twisted around and said that character that you like and invested in is Sauron. I think that uh, in concept, I see what they're going for is so that at the end, Galadriel, it feels like a difficult choice that even we watching might feel like, Oh, but I but like is it for Galadriel though. The dude killed her brother. I is know. she really going to say, Hmm, you know what? You're right. I know. Like to go with what you're saying. Here's what I, w- I was experiencing watching that scene. I was like, you know what? The way they're playing off the character, again, completely contrary to Tolkien, don't like it, but for the show, I thought, you know what? The way they're playing off the character, as an audience, you kind of see the allure. You're like, I see a little bit of temptation here. But then I was like, just a little bit. It's like, okay, this is a little, what are they doing with the characters? It's kind of interesting. Is he, are they, because part of me wondered, are they even putting him on a redemption arc that will then fall again? Like, what are they doing? This is interesting. But then it still didn't work for me because I'm like, yeah, but Galadriel's not going to fall for this. Like, dude killed her brother. She's upset about it. She's filled with vengeance. And there's no part of her that would ever and forgive yet, Sauron. She didn't get suspicious. I think because <laughs> those power. two characters have, have good chemistry and you kind of feel, oh, they have a, re- yeah, they have a, a relationship. Have a Neither ship. was, yeah, a ship. <laughs> They were shipped, and they're on a literal ship. <laughs> a little ship on a ship. Ship wreck. <laughs> Just a little ship on a little ship. For me, there, mu- there was a moment of wondering if she was gonna, if she was gonna get pulled. Like not for good, obviously. But there's a, I mean, a moment. That's all I'm saying. Uh, I did not dislike this twist as much as a lot of people did. I see what they were going for. It was hammy and cheesy, but I, I like what they were going for, and the fact that they were like five percent successful to me is like. <laughs> something here's what um th- this is a perfect example of some of the problems i have with this show because on one level like just as a show i feel like it has a lot of weaknesses and it was predictable uh it was somewhat formulaic and i thought it, the execution i agree that there were some cool things that they did in terms of trying to make halbrand attractive to the audience but i didn't feel like it executed well right on the talking adaptation side here's why i felt it missed out because the story of the temptation of sauron is so fascinating. The story of the fall of Numenor is a combination of like Sodom and Gomorrah, the biblical flood and Atlantis. It's a fascinating tale, partly because it's the Numenorians in, in Tolkien weren't upset about jobs being stolen by elves, but here's what was interesting. <laughs> like they were, they, they were so <laughs> Numenor in the lore was within sight of Valinor. They could see it, but they were never allowed to sail to it. And what's interesting in the story is the Numenorans become very, very envious of immortal life. That's what they want. And it's a very much a Garden of Eden type struggle. And what's interesting is as an audience, as you're reading it, you're like, you know what? I see that because a, a human element is I want immortality too. I would desire that. I would desire that power if I were in their space, even if you... So it makes the temptation more interesting when you as an audience are like, oh, yeah, but that does sound kind of like a good deal, right? To be immortal. And I felt like it. they missed out on so much with what the temptation of Sauron is in the book. Um, and maybe they're going to revisit it because Numenor hasn't you know, uh, collapsed yet. And if they follow the storyline, what will happen is Sauron builds up a, basically a, 
an army and fortress in Mordor, and then the Numenorians, the evil Numenorians, still being extremely powerful, just sweep in and just obliterate Sauron and his defenses. He doesn't stand a chance because Numenor is so powerful, and they take him back as prisoner, and then he starts whispering in the prison to Farazhan. But um, anyway, I, I felt like they... I was looking at that like that don't feel like it worked as a TV show or as a Tolkien adaptation. And so I feel like it, even if just one of those had been a success, you know, it's like, okay, yeah. at least do like a really good movie or TV show, or at least give me like a BBC Narnia, you know, <laughs> something where I can say, <laughs> ah, yes, but they tried to be faithful, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, yeah. It's, it's, it's like, it was neither, it was neither a spectacle nor was it, an intriguing look at character and relationships and stories. It was like neither. Yeah. It's just, it was very odd in that aspect. Looking ahead as far as Narnia and Netflix, uh, I would just say the big lessons here are Netflix or whoever makes the next Narnia adaptation. Just tell a good story. Don't make something because you're trying to set up uh, a big universe don't try to, if you make Magician's Nephew, don't just try to do, look, that's going to become Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Um, don't make something because you're yeah. just trying to lay the groundwork for something else. Just make that thing right now. Just tell a good story. Focus uh, on that. No, 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 no. <laughs> what I was, I, I was going to say, my parting thoughts were watching Rings of Power made me feel very happy that Netflix Narnia has not moved forward. Yes. Because if Lord of the Rings can can have this happen yes. to them with that much money and that much talent. Yep. Narnia didn't st- stand a chance. Well, no, what we need, well, well we need less money. We need, le- a, 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 we need a smaller budget. We need no money. No, we, we, uh, 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 the, the <laughs> ginormous <laughs> BBC money. <laughs> Being the most expensive TV show ever is not necessarily a good thing because then you've got so many cooks in the kitchen, so many people trying to protect their investment. They have to go safe and generic. I, I have to have one more thought. You deserve it. Okay, to, to, to supplement exactly in spirit with what you guys are saying as far as like <laughs> lessons for Netflix and Narnia, here's something that I think we are seeing with, with a lot of these stories. When you are really close, even on a dialogue level to these really great stories, we get some fantastic scenes, some great moments in story, whether it's the Narnia movies, Lord of the Rings movies, uh, the best part of the Hobbit movies were the parts that were the closest to Tolkien and they're great works. When you have some of these, what they'll do is sometimes they take these vague images, right? And they'll expand on them, right? It works with with the talent we see in Hollywood right now. This is the trend. We can get great stuff if it's like a scene with no dialogue, like the Foundations of Stone with Gandalf and the Balrog falling. We can get a great little sequence that is true to Tolkien, then an action sequence maybe. That doesn't depend on dialogue. But once they start expanding into all these little plot lines that have they're where they're completely on their own away from the author, they don't do very well. And I think it's a lesson to them. Don't introduce a whole bunch of subplots in Narnia. Don't introduce a whole bunch of whole new characters where you have to create their whole little stories. Try to adapt the books as faithfully as you can because there's a lot of success there. That's the moral of the story. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, we've had our time in Middle Earth. We're going to spend a little bit more time in the post-show chatter talking about some more stuff. It'll be very spoilerish. So, Patreon supporters, if you want some spoilers, see the link in the description. Anyway, we're going to get back to Narnia uh next time though. So, stay tuned for that. 
Let me read the outro. Uh, we hope you enjoyed this episode of Talking Beast, the Narnia podcast. Visit narniweb.com to join our community and stay up to date on the latest Narnia news. Please post a comment or question below or in the Talking Beast Facebook group. You can also email us at glumpuddle at narniweb.com, jimfan at narniweb.com, and rillian at narniweb.com. Special thanks to our, all our Patreon supporters, especially our Knights of Narnia Web. Until next time, further up and further in. Mm-hmm.